Do you feel like you're constantly trying to convince people of the value of your offer? Or maybe you struggle with actually making the ask and inviting people to work with you because you don't want to feel pushy. I have been there and let me tell you, there is an easier way to run your business. For years, I have been obsessed with helping my clients increase conversions and make more money in a way that feels good to them and their customers. Now I've created a free resource to help you do the same. Conversion Crash Course is my new two-week email series to help you close more sales in just two minutes a day. This is not your average PDF freebie. These are short and sweet emails, they're fun, they're actionable, and they are designed to help you land more clients and better serve your current ones. And the best part is 100% free. I had so much fun creating this email series and I know you're going to love it too. So go and sign up for free at megansmythe.com slash conversion or head to the link in the show notes. You're listening to Blaze, the go-to podcast for trailblazing entrepreneurs and anyone passionate about doing business differently. My name is Megan and together with my guests, I'm pulling back the curtain to bring you the conversations that normally happen behind closed doors. We're sharing practical tips, no BS advice, and inspiring stories to remind you that no matter where you are on your business journey, you're not in this alone. Welcome to our community. Welcome to the Blaze Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Blaze Podcast, where we believe in doing life and business differently. Today, we're talking about a much neglected topic in the online business space, and that is cold leads, and specifically, how to convert them faster. A lot of marketing advice in the industry, especially for women, let's be real, is very warm lead centric. It's all about nurturing and providing value and building relationships and all of that is great, but it's also super time consuming. And we all know our lives would be much easier if you just had leads who stumbled onto your website or your social media profiles and they knew instantly they wanted to work with you. Today, our guest on the show is going to show you how to make that possible. I'm joined by Jasmine Hedalani, the founder of High Flyer Powerhouse, an agency that specializes in creative direction, web design, and brand design to help clients become industry leaders and make an additional 100K in their business. If that seems like a lofty promise, well, let me tell you, she's done it. Go check out the case studies. And today, she's going to show you how you can too, as well as how you can convert more cold leads in your business and shorten your sales cycle. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Jasmine. Jasmine, thanks so much for being here today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me, Megan. I'm excited to have this conversation and really like dive deep into this. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I was so excited when the topic of cold leads came up in my inbox because I was like, this is something that doesn't get talked about a ton in the space. So we've got lots of good stuff to dive into, but I want to start with a bit of background on you, how you got into business. So the first question I always ask my guests is to share a little bit about your origin story. So how did you end up an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I didn't have the traditional story where like I grew up always wanting to be a business owner and wanting to like start my own thing. Um, I actually went to school as a biology major. I was like on the pre-med track. And then I realized that this is not what I wanted to do. I always had like creative hobbies. I really liked drawing growing up. I liked art. Nothing like ever two years where I took like a class for it or, or really learned how to professionally do that. And I remember I got into business just through like listening to other people's podcasts and like getting into business mindset and things like that. 
And then I decided to just start my business officially, I would say like in 2020, around when the pandemic happened and, you know, decided to just learn how to do website design and then got into branding and got into creative direction. Um, and really what got me into like the world of branding was I used to work at Got as a brand marketing manager and just seeing how branding translated in real life. And that's also like my knowledge around cold leads that kind of just like blossomed into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. I actually was pre-med too back in the day. And I also was always creative and I kind of went through that phase of like, well, how do I make this a career, you know? So it's that drive between practicality and creativity. So I'm curious, how did you get into branding? Like, so how'd you go from biology to working for Kendra Scott? Yeah. So I used to work as an EMT actually on an ambulance to like get my hours for my like, you know, professional resume to apply to like and all of that. And when I quit, when I really decided like this wasn't for me, I remember going to my college counselor and she basically told me it was too late to change my major. I was already going into my senior year. And she's like, none of the classes that you have apply. Like, what what are you even thinking right now? So she told me like, I would have to spend an extra three years or two years in college. And I just said, I would actually rather get the work experience for it. Yeah. So funny enough, I started working at Kendra through retail and literally got promoted within the first few months there into like kind of the brand marketing role, which was really exciting. And I don't think I like, again, thought that this was going to be the path, but it would just, it was just what's, what was available. And obviously when the pandemic happened, it was kind of like the first role to go because a lot of it was in person and I would be going to different stores and things like that. So once that kind of pressure ended, I started my business to where when they opened it back up, I was already, I was just very much committed. And I was like, I think I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. I think I'm fine on my own. So what made you decide to go out on your own then rather than sounding or staying in what sounds like it was a great career? Yeah, I think I, I knew Kendra Scott wasn't my end all be all. I I think I didn't also have like enough time with them to really determine like, is this the career that I wanted? And I remember even like graduating college, I'm sure many people go through this, but it was kind of like that identity crisis moment where I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm no longer applying to med school. And, And that was like my path for so long. That's what I was working towards for so long. But I just wanted to give business a chance and just see where I would go with it. And it was also tapping into my creative side, which I haven't been doing in a very long time. So it just allowed me to like really experiment with something new, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so similar to my own story in a way. And I also went through the same thing going to the career counselor. And I went in and I was like, hey, I don't want to go to med school. So I'm not sure if it makes sense to stay in this program. I really love, you know, the more creative subjects. I was minoring in history. And so I was curious about like switching my my full major to that. And they were basically like, you can't switch out of this program. <laughs> they didn't say you can't, but it was it was strongly implied. They're like, people don't leave this program. It was like a bit of a cult mindset. And they're like, you're in it now. So you graduate, you go through, you know, working for someone else and then going out on your own. So walk me through like the the early days of your business and like how has your, your brand evolved into what it is now? Because you've built a really incredible, like strong online presence in not that long of a time. You know, if you're starting in 2020, it's only been a few years. Yeah. So I remember like entering the space, especially as a service provider, I thought like I need to follow someone else's blueprint, someone else's roadmap. I didn't know what was going on or like how people really signed clients. And I remember at the time, the trend for design and for like branding was this 
minimalist boho aesthetic. Like everyone was in a field somewhere with like big hats. And I remember trying to do that. I remember trying to be that and something always felt off because again, I was like really just trying to follow somebody else's footsteps or following what worked for somebody else. And I think that was that July was kind of what I would define as my first rebrand. I went into an all black look. And now I feel like it's more common, but at the time, again, it was like beiges, browns, neutrals. So that felt like a very bold, risky move. And I think that kind of unleashed something in my identity when it was like, I don't have to follow the trend. I can pave my own path. I can build my own brand. And funny enough, that's when really people started to resonate and like wanted something different for themselves too. And started, we started working together. Yeah, it's so cool because you're really an example of now what you do for your clients is help them find, you know, that unique brand that's going to stand out from the crowd. I remember those days too, the boho and the beige looks. That was never me either. And I also tried to force myself to finish it. I was like, I can be pastels and like warm right. tones and, and all the things, which is so not me. Like if you look at my brand now, it's also pretty like dark and moody, um, a lot bolder, kind of like yours. And it's so funny how you use the word unleash. I think that is such a good descriptor for what happens when you go through like a really solid rebrand and it feels like, you know, it's true to who you are and everything. So I'm curious, your brand now has become known for building powerhouse brands. I would love to know what is your definition of a powerhouse brand and how do you build one? That's so such a good question. I think for a powerhouse brand, I think it, I think a lot about like an industry leading brand. I think they are brands that are paving the way, not necessarily following. I think they are brands that set the trend. They're the ones defining what's happening in their niche. And I also think they're somewhat of risk takers. They're not afraid to be the first to do something. They're not afraid to really go in and explore something, try something new, even if not everybody else is doing it. So I remember when we started offering like creative direction into our like core services. And at the time that was not trendy. Like I feel like now it's just a lot more common for, for photo shoots to have those. And again, it's about just like being bold, kind of making your own statements and really being known for your opinions and your beliefs when it comes to your niche and like your expertise too. Yeah, it's so true. And it's funny you use the word like risk taking because I think like, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a certain tolerance for risk. Like starting your own business is the ultimate risk in a lot of ways. And I think any entrepreneur, anyone doing it, whether you're in a side hustle phase or scaling to like faulty seven, eight figures, you have to be a risk taker and you are brave for doing that. But it's funny because so many of us, we take that ultimate leap, we take the risk of starting a business and then in the early days, we don't want to take any more risks, right? And we follow what everyone else is doing instead of stepping out on our own. So it's kind of like a weird duality. But I'm curious, like, how do you walk your clients through that? You know, obviously, there's a lot involved. It's, you know, very in-depth process. But could you give us like a high level overview of, you know, what you cover or just for someone listening who wants to be that powerhouse brand, wants to be an industry leader? Yeah, I think when people think of branding, their immediate instinct is, let me go on Pinterest. Mm. Let me find what's going on on Pinterest. Let me create my like perfect mood board on there. And I think that's actually what overwhelms people and gets them to compare themselves to other brands that might not even be the same or like want to be in the same direction as them. And I think that's also where the copying tends to happen. Like what's trendy? What's like, what's popular right now? What should I be interested in? And if I don't see this on Pinterest, then it's a problem because that means no one will like it. Um, so I think, first of all, it's really starting with 
what do you want to accomplish from your brand? What do you want the impression to be when someone lands on your page for the first time? And really like, what is it that you want people to feel when looking at your visuals? I am a very big believer in visual selling. I think about us scrolling on Instagram, on TikTok, wherever. And a lot of times the things that stop our scroll are the things that are like visually different, whether it's imagery, whether it's design, and even when it's like your marketing, your messaging. So really building kind of like that foundation there and then deciding, okay, how am I now going to translate that into visuals? And that's when you can actually start sourcing some inspiration. Yeah, it's so true. The Pinterest thing. I remember when I was going through my rebrand, I went on Pinterest and I couldn't find anything that felt like, you know, an accurate representation of the kind of look I was going for. And then internally, I was like, oh, no, does that mean, you know, I'm doing something wrong here. So I love the idea of going internal first. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with looking at inspiration. But I think as long as you're clear on what you want first, and the kind of visuals you want, the identity you're going for, because like you said, that is so, so important. That is what is going to stop people from scrolling. And that is what we're doing these days is scrolling all the time. So hugely important. Yeah. And I think it's also really important that when you're looking for that inspiration and you don't find it, I actually think that's more of a positive. And instead it's kind of like, okay, how can I take pieces of different inspiration? Like I like this pin for this reason. I like this color scheme for this reason. That's where working with, you know, someone who's an expert can like blend that all together and make it a lot more meaningful and intentional and also more unique in your industry. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you have any advice, you know, for someone who's listening and they want something really unique and stand out really different, but they're not sure? Like, how do I do that without copying other people? Or maybe they feel like it's all been done before um, and they don't know how to build something truly unique and original. Like, do you have any advice on that? Yeah. So I remember when I first started, the the first thing I did, I think, was I looked at other designers, which was, again, like a big issue. Um, Because obviously, just because all these other designers are doing it, if anything, that should be almost a sign for me to do something different. So I also notice now if there are coaches in the same niche, they're doing something specific. If there's there are designers, if there are like OBMs or VAs, they're all having these like sub trends. Instead, I actually like to look at inspiration outside of the industry. So I like to look at pop culture. I'm very interested in like magazine and high fashion visuals. And I ask myself how I could actually apply it to a day-to-day client, if you will. So I like really looking at inspiration outside of my industry and seeing where I can apply that to myself or to the clients that I'm working with. Oh, I love that. I think that's so smart. And now that you say that, it's something I didn't think of, but I know when I was, you know, I mentioned going through my own rebrand and everything, the strategies I was working with was pulling inspiration from places that were not what I would consider typical online business inspiration. She was talking about like uh, different like vintage movies from the 1950s and, you know, cities in the world. A big inspiration of my brand was I explained it to my brand strategist as I want my brand to be like an Edinburgh rather than a London or Paris. It's a little more down to earth. It's a little kind of dark and and gloomy, but there's still a lot of character, kind of an old world vibe. So yeah, you can definitely look outside of, you know, online businesses, I think get creative with it. I love the fashion idea for sure. And magazines, that's such great inspiration, especially for the visual side. Yeah. And I also like some people come to me, they really embody a fictional character from a TV show or from a movie, like you mentioned. Um, And so there are so many creative elements in the real world or like outside of just our niche and our industry that I think all open to be explored. 
So true. I love that. That's fantastic advice. Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit now and talk about cold leads and lead gen. I think when we talk about sales, especially in the online business world, there's a lot of concentration on, you know, marketing and building warm leads, building community, nurturing people. And I think sometimes generating cold leads almost gets put on the back burner a little bit. And we think that if we just build this beautiful brand, people just naturally find us, become part of our community, just line up to work with us. So why is focusing on cold lead gen so important and how can we be more proactive about it? Yeah, so I think people forget that before people become warm leads in your community and follow you, they were cold leads first. And the longer someone is a warm lead, that just means that it's taking your process longer to convert that. So I actually stopped normalizing the fact that having majority warm leads in my audience is a normal thing. And instead, I'm like, where can I actually focus on continuously getting cold leads and warming them up so fast that we can then become a client? Yeah. So when I'm thinking about prioritizing cold leads in your sales process, you will also naturally re-engage the warm leads in your audience. You will naturally attract warmer leads. You'll attract the referrals. Whereas if you focus only on a warm lead sales approach or a marketing approach, if it's only specific to where a warm lead understands, I want you to think about how many people are going on Instagram, searching your niche, your account pops up. And if you're not knowing how to necessarily attract the cold lead, which is really the first step, they're going to feel like you're not relevant to them. And they're going to feel like, oh, this person isn't for me. I think starting off with making your process applicable to cold leads, and that will naturally get to warm leads as well. Yeah, exactly. It's the same process. It's just, you know, a different starting point. And any sales process you build to convert cold leads, like you said, is also going to convert warm leads. So how can we be more intentional? Like, what are some tactical things that people can do to really build their strategy around attracting those cold leads and converting them? Yeah, this sounds so simple, but I think some people forget to take themselves through their own sales process. Like pretend you're somebody who's discovering you for the first time. Like actually see when you search up copywriter, when you search up designer, when you search up money coach, first of all, how much do you stand out compared to the other options that are populating? And this could be with images. This could be with the content that you're posting. This could be with just first overview, how is your profile optimized? How are your highlights categorized? Also thinking like if you have a website, right? How is a cold lead able to navigate that easily? Is it hard for me to find your services and how to book with you? All of that should be so obvious and so straightforward that a cold lead should never have questions around like, oh, I can't find this, so I just give up. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've gone on like Instagram Explorer page And I've seen a post that I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'll go to someone's profile and I'm literally searching for a way to pay them. Like I'm searching for a service or I'm like, okay, you got me. What's next? Um, So it's taking yourself through your own sales process and seeing like, how obvious is this? How easy is it for a cold lead to find things? And really how intentional is this process curated for someone who has no idea who I am? 
Yeah, it's so true. I always say to my clients, you want it to be easy for people to buy from you. Don't make them work too hard. Don't make them search all the different places because they'll get frustrated and they'll give up. People don't have, you know, myself included, the longest patience span, right? Especially when you're searching online for stuff. And I think I see that in copywriting too. People write in a way that is really for warm leads. They're assuming that people already know them and they know their business. They know their service offerings. And it's like, no, assume if someone's landing on your profile or your website that they have never heard of you before. Like, what do they need to know? How can you make it super crystal clear and easy for them to take action? So in terms of like a sales process, how can we shorten that sales cycle? Like, what are some common mistakes that you see people are making or just ways that we can prioritize those cold leads directly in the sales process? Yeah, so I think like, like, no trust is kind of dead. So (laughs) I think like, no trust is very much for warm leads and like connecting and networking with people. It doesn't always lead to conversion. And I think people that prioritize that, I think spend so much time nurturing somebody that they don't end up selling to them. So my version of that is uh, capture attention, create connection, and, you know, cold conversion. So starting with, if we want to capture somebody's attention, this is, again, we're prioritizing the visuals in your brand. That that needs to look different for your niche. That needs to be like the first impression. Someone should come to your profile and feel like, wow, I haven't seen this before. I haven't seen a copywriter show up in this way before. Next, it's also messaging and marketing. So like, I haven't seen a copywriter phrase things that way or talk about these concepts when it comes to copywriting. I think this is where people, when they're copying other people, they don't realize that someone that's coming to their profile, if they are noticing them doing something that they've seen before, it's going to take twice as much work to actually convince that person to buy because they're like, oh, I've seen somebody do this. I've seen somebody say that. I don't think this is anything special. And they're going now with the intention of like, okay, prove to me that you're different. Prove to me that you're special versus coming to you with the idea that, oh my gosh, this person is already unique in my eyes. I haven't seen anything like this before. And they're diving deeper into your content, into your website, into your offers with that impression of kind of like putting you on on a pedestal for a little bit. Yeah. Next, when I think about calculated connection, it's really about being intentional in the topics that you have in your content, the copywriting that you have on your sales pages. To your point, what you were saying earlier, like where are you being so specific where anybody can understand what you're saying? And also how are you positioning your brand to where someone knows that you're offering something different, even if the deliverables look the same. So even if you're offering a copywriting service, there's a reason why people choose you as opposed to another copywriter. So making that a little bit more clear, And then obviously with cold conversion, how easy is it for them to apply, to inquire, to buy? And can you actually close them during that sales process? Yeah, it's the difference between being like a better option between a bunch of competitors who do the same thing and being the only option. Like if you are the only person who is really known for doing something, it doesn't have to be totally out of the box, but just having a unique process, framework you take people through, design, copy are great examples because there are obviously so many designers, so many copywriters, there's so many service pros, there's so many coaches out there. And it's like, you don't have to be totally original, like coming up with something that's going to disrupt the entire industry, but just having a unique thought process around how you work with people, some sort of framework you're taking people through. I'm curious, do you have any other ideas like for how to come up with that, that unique factor that is going to stand out? 
I also think it's about highlighting, again, unique parts of your process that maybe you feel like, even though someone offers copywriting, they don't position it in this way or they don't deliver it in this way. So for example, for us, when we started offering, you know, creative direction for photo shoots, we really started offering certain assets and the deliverables. And we even started offering in-person photo shoots for. So we noticed that that was something that other people were not offering. Or um, when we deliver like our finalized websites, we also deliver, you know, templates so that people could use and add on to. We deliver tutorials. So where are like those extra elements that are making your client experience a little bit better and smoother and allowing your clients to get the results, but also again, differentiating yourself from what other people are offering too. Yeah. Yeah. Finding the gaps, right? If you look at what other people are doing, like where are the gaps, where are the opportunities, or maybe you could add something or do something a little bit differently from everyone else in your industry can be so powerful. You know, it's funny. We talk a lot about, like you said, no like trust factor and how no like trust is dead. I I love that. I agree, honestly. I think we get so caught up in just nurturing people forever. We're just forever providing free value and, and building trust and, you know, creating content and doing all these things. It's like, okay, but how are you actually converting these people? You don't just want people in your audience forever. You want to hopefully turn them into customers and clients. So let's get tactical on the, the sales and the conversion side. So we covered like how to stand out, how to attract attention and build the connection. Like what does that look like in the conversion process itself. So once you've got someone, you know, inquiring, maybe your unique process is what drew them in. What are the next steps? And do you have any tips for like the sales process itself? Yeah. Number one, I like to be very transparent in my sales process. You shouldn't feel like someone is booking a sales call with you and you're still hiding information. So I like to have like prices up or if you have multiple pricing options or you're very custom pricing, have a starting point, right? I remember before I used to do that, I would feel nervous just like saying my price on a call versus when I know someone's coming on my call and they already know the price, they already know how everything goes, it's less intimidating. I also think, again, being very forward with my deliverables and where are you almost doing so much of the selling before the actual sales call? Like at this point, because everything is very transparent and obvious to a cold lead or a warm lead, now when I go on a sales call, I could really dive into the true objections that someone has. And also thinking about everything that they've seen beforehand, they're coming more prepared. They come knowing what I'm offering. They come knowing what questions they might have. And again, the relationship just feels a lot more open versus me feeling like I'm still hiding information that I'm going to surprise them with on the call. And then I don't make objections mean that they're not going to work with me or that they're hesitant. They just want clarity. They're just asking questions. So it's also about having almost like a bank of answers prepared on what are some of the top objections someone can come in with knowing your offer very well. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. You know, having the objections on hand, it's like you're prepared in a way that doesn't feel forced. So you go into it a bit more confident just in case they come up. And if those objections don't come up and if they're already sold, then great, that's just a bonus, right? But either way, you're kind of covering your back on that end. I'm curious, you know, we talked about shortening the sales cycle. So what do you do or do you have a procedure for someone, you know, on a call or who's like really in the sales process and they say it's just not the right time or they're not ready yet? Can you follow up in a couple months? What is your take on that? Or is that something that you are also trying to eliminate upfront? 
Yeah. So I think when someone says it's not the right time, I think that's actually something that happened on the sales call that they didn't feel confident about basically on how you handled their objection is what I've realized. Because if it's not the right time, why would they book a sales call right now? So I never just like flat out believe somebody when they're like, it's not the right time or I, I changed my mind or whatever. Instead, I go back, I try to like replay the sales call in my head or try to figure out what is something that they mentioned that I didn't explain as clearly or didn't feel like the solution they were looking for. So a great example of this is I had a client who got on a sales call with me the first time. Again, I think um, the quote unquote objection she gave me was she was concerned that the process was just a lot of change happening at once. And even though I walked her through the fact that, oh no, I have a team and we have a checklist for you and it's such an easy process. When I look back on that and I think what ended up signing her later was I could have just pulled up, you know, I could have shared my screen and pulled up the process and be like, hey, you only need to work on these three things, right? And really showing for how simple and easy it could be instead of just telling her. Um, so it's just it's sometimes little things like that. And I try to take that into account the next time the objection comes up. I'm like, now I know how to answer it more clearly. Um, and really see when someone is giving you an objection, like what are they really looking for? What are they really asking? She just wanted to make sure that even though there were so many things happening during the rebrand process, that she was still going to be taken care of and that, you know, it was very organized and it wasn't as intimidating as it looked. Yeah, it's a really good point because when we talk about countering objections, you don't necessarily have to just come out and say, well, actually, it is the right time because X, Y, and Z. And like, yes, you should make a decision now. I like what you said about, you know, going deeper. What is really holding them back? Because I agree with you. I, I think the not the right time objection is usually just an indication of something deeper that maybe they missed or more information that they need. Because like you said, if they're on the call, <laughs> then it probably is already the right time. And same thing goes for price, right? Like if someone's giving you a price objection, after the call well they should have hopefully have known your prices because like you said it should be on your website or somewhere in your sales process before the call so that means they got on the call they were willing to you know talk and there was some gap there that you need to bridge and that's fine it's a learning experience for next time but I like the idea of thinking through like well what information would they have needed like where did we go wrong where can we add something or do it a little bit differently next time and a lot of times it does just come down to like you said like showing them the information or making it really easy to understand for people because sometimes we're so caught up in our own process we forget our customers don't just automatically know that stuff, right? Yeah. And also I think it's like not being scared of actually asking them questions. I think so many times we forget that these people who are strangers are coming on the call wanting to spend their money and invest in us. And if we want to really see if they're the right fit, it's also not being afraid of asking them your point, like diving deeper onto why are you choosing to prioritize this now? Or like, let's look at your goals. Where can you see that this investment is not helping you reach that goal? Let's clarify that. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I love the idea of tying it back to their long-term goals as well. I think no matter what type of service or product you're selling, like just asking people like, what are their goals? Like over, you know, maybe the next six, 12 months and then long-term and how is you investing with you going to get them closer to that goal? If you can bridge that gap for people, that's a huge, huge selling point. Yeah. And I think sometimes people underestimate their potential. So they're like, my calendar's too. I don't know how I'm supposed to fit this in. And it's kind of like, no, you can. Here's how we'll do it together. And my thought is too, again, not being not being afraid to push back a little bit. My thought is your business owner, you're always going to be busy. If it's not this launch, it's something else. So again, not being afraid to like really figure out what the problem is. 
Yeah, exactly. There is no right time. As we all know, especially if you're a B2B, you know, you're serving other businesses. I think we can relate to that in your own business, right? And if you really want to make something happen, you will. You'll reprioritize. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Well, this is so good. So many good tips on uncold leads and sales and branding. So many things. We are going to start to wrap up now with our savor and celebrate bonus round. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So what is one thing you're savoring right now? I am definitely savoring, I would say like 30 minutes at the beginning and at the end of my workday where I just have solo time to really just process my day at the end and then get ready for it in the beginning. I love alone time. And so that's kind of something I've really been saving. Yeah, that's so nice. I am definitely, you know, an alone time person too. I think that's so good for recharging and for, for starting your day as well. Okay. Secondly, what's your favorite way to celebrate? I am a very much of a materialistic celebrator. So I like to buy myself things. And depending on the celebration, I really, I'm into jewelry a lot. So I like to purchase pieces of jewelry. I also like to purchase experiences in the sense of like, I like to have a spa day sometimes. Sometimes it's even just like my regular nail appointment. So I, I like to purchase either experiences or like materialistic things that kind of get me feeling happy about what I've achieved. I love that. I, I like to buy stuff too. I think my first paycheck I ever got when I was like 14, I went out and bought a new pair of shoes. I love that. It's like a memory. Yeah. It's something nice about buying yourself a little present. You're like, oh, I could treat myself. Right. <laughs> okay. Last question. What is a win you've celebrated recently? A win I've celebrated recently, honestly, is just offboarding all of my clients from this year. Uh, which has been amazing. It's been like a journey, you know, this year we've taken more clients than we ever have, which has been so exciting. Um, And at the same time, it's just been amazing seeing them showcase their rebrands and that feeling that I mentioned earlier of how that unleashed like my identity and my potential, seeing that transformation in them too. So I guess I'm celebrating my clients wins. Yeah, uh, that's so lovely. I was, I mentioned before we hit record, I was creeping your Rob say and some of the work you've done, you've worked with some incredible clients and their brands are so incredible, what you've built together. So you absolutely should be so proud. It's like watching a little kid grow up sometimes too, or like watching a whole like home remodel makeover. So whenever they get to share that and I see like the confidence shift too, it's, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Seeing the confidence shift in your clients is just like the best feeling. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This is such a good conversation. If someone wants to learn more about you, how to work with you, learn from you, tell them where they can find you online. You can find me at High Flyer Powerhouse or highflyerpowerhouse.com. It has all of our services, including my signature rebrand offer and my group program, Brand Revenue Lab. And yeah, I, I'm on Instagram all the time. So yeah, that's the place to connect with me. And then Becoming the Brand is also my podcast. Also, I will make sure the links are all in the show notes so people can find them. Thank you again for joining me today. This is such a fun conversation. Hey, Trailblazer. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help spread the word? Share it with a friend, tell your mastermind group, take a screenshot and post it on stories. I'm at copy by Meg on Instagram. If you want to tag me or just come say hi, I would love to hear from you. Until next time, remember, fortune favors the bold, but success favors the stubborn. Keep going, girl. You got this.